Welcome back. The Anything But Quiet Time podcast brought to you by Compassion International. Just an incredible child sponsorship program. You'll hear more on just a a bit later. You can find more on them at HopeOnDemand.com as well as anything else associated with the Anything But Quiet Time podcast. But this is the podcast we go over our quiet times. And and Rochelle, Mm -hmm. you you left us hanging last week. You want to talk about that moment in Exodus when God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Let's talk about that. Wow, here we go. That is one of those parts of Scripture. If you haven't read it, it can be jolting. Yes, it can. And you read that and think, oh, so he didn't give Pharaoh a chance? Right, right. Um, so he just automatically just hardened his heart? Okay. To the detriment of many Egyptians, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where we go. And so I really wanted to to give this some focus. And there are amazing tools online to help you. I've mentioned the Bible Project before. Um, scholarly evidence. And make sure that you're checking out a, a good site if you're going to go online. Make sure it's reputable. But um, I want to kind of take it back a second into Genesis just a bit. We know that we are created by God. Mm -hmm. So let's think of a human creation. I am partial to Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is a human creation created by one Walt Disney. And imagine that Mickey Mouse decides in the middle of the cartoon, I no longer am adhering to the rules that you have orchestrated. I'm going to go outside the boundaries of this animated feature, and I'm going to go do life my own way. Well, you're not incorporated in my life anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to adhere mm. to a different animator. I'm going to go to Looney Tunes. Okay. Wow, that's uh, first of all, <laughs> I think actually illegal, <laughs> copyright wise. <laughs> Uh, but what a what a fascinating thing. He's not living up to his potential at that point. He's not living up to his potential, but he's he's also defying the one who created him. And, and that's the point. Now, clearly, I mean, Mickey Mouse, that's a, a very silly connection there. But um, and, and usually those are scripted. All the animated features are scripted. Whereas when God created you and I, when he created everything that we see around us, what we can fathom, because it's evidence right there. Mm-hmm. He gave us free will as to how we would interact with those things around us. And they decided right off the bat, Adam and Eve were like, I want to be like God. I don't want him to be the only one who tells me what to do, what's good and evil. I'm going to eat from that tree myself. And they broke off the relationship um, to their detriment. And, And clearly they felt ashamed after it happened. They discovered so many things about themselves, including that... Um, that they were going to die. It wasn't going to be heaven on earth anymore. They were excommunicated from heaven. And now they're going to go into this earth broken planet place. Mm -hmm. And it just got worse from there. You know, we see it, the epitome of Babylon of just evil, evil. Like they're, I'm going to create my own heaven, you know, and try to reach up to heaven. Yeah. Um, you know, God, we read obviously in the earlier parts of Genesis about how he floods the earth because it got so bad and and it just, it never really gets better even after uh, the land is devastated and Noah's descendants procreate. It's just, it just goes on and on and on how we are never going to meet the expectation that God has on us. All of that to say, Pharaoh comes along in Egypt and Pharaoh is an archetype of, of, 
the leadership. He's the prime, probably the most evil guy in the Bible thus far mm. is how I've heard it put. And there's no regard for for the Israelites at all. They're as low as dogs, maybe even lower. They're there to do one thing, which is to make Egypt look good. And Pharaoh has completely flipped the script like Mickey Mouse in my earlier scenario. He's like, ah, no, yeah, I'm not adhering to what you say is true about creation. I'm going to be God. I am now in charge of everything. I deem whether the sun rises or sets. I, I, I. And like it, it gets so completely awful that he's going to not commit genocide because he doesn't kill everybody. But he's like, I'm going to make it so that they stop procreating as much. Mm. And so I'm going to take out all the little Hebrew boys. So babies going to be thrown in the Nile. I mean, it's just. I can't fathom that in today's news. I think there are horrific events that take place around the world and, and larger governments try to intervene and, and shut those things down. But Pharaoh's was the largest government at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was as bad as it gets. And so I was reading about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And the first time we kind of see that terminology, it's it's right there in the story at the burning bush when Moses He's commissioned by God to go back into Egypt, this land that he has escaped from. And uh, it's interesting that's purposefully the author, who is believed to be Moses, of the book of Exodus, leaves out which pharaoh it is. I've always assumed it's Ramses. Oh, that you know, that's interesting. I I didn't even really think about it. I mean, that's true because it's a title, you know, really. It's pharaoh. Oh, and so because it's it's staying in line with the archetype of that character. They just keep passing it down the line. This is how it's going to look. This is how it's going to be. And you're subjected to whatever I say, whether it was Ramses or it was another pharaoh that came along. But anyway, all of that to say that the you have to look at the tense of the translation. And I had to go super nerd. I mean, I had to go back to... I had a YouTube a video about uh, active verbs versus passive verbs and what okay. that looks like. Okay. And basically the difference is something done to the subject as versus the subject doing the action. Okay. So when God talks about, uh, I know, first of all, he says, I know Pharaoh. And we look at other passages of scripture, um, specifically one in Jeremiah it talks about how God knows us. I mean, he knows, knows us. So he knows what we're going to do, what we have done, and where we're going to end up. Right. He knows him. And so it says that, but it also you know, explains that he knows that you know, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And de- depending on the translation you're looking at, some of it says, God, I'm going to harden his heart. Mm. But if you look at the tense... When God is talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, even in the first five plagues, it is not something that he is doing to Pharaoh. It is something that Pharaoh is literally doing to his own heart. Yeah. yeah. He is hardening his own heart. And God says at the very beginning of that burning bush scene, at the beginning of the sequence, it's like, I know him. I know his heart is hardened. And so the very evil... That, and you know how this gets when somebody just gets deeper and deeper and deeper into their sin and they are beyond rescue. There is a term for that. Reprobate is the term for that. Right. And we look at the characters like um, Hitler, 
Um, and maybe some would dispute whether or not that that's an actual thing, but there are some that are past reproach. How, how would you define that? Because, you know, what we know is that the thief on the cross, Jesus said, you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. And so clearly, at least time-wise, you have right up to the last moment. Well, only God knows that. I mean, he's the one who can read hearts. But would you say, I, I guess I'll just ask you this, would you say that generally a, a reprobate person is somebody that is just, you just know they're not changing because they're choosing not to change? There is no conscientious desire to um, redeem anything. Mm. I mean, it's like I, nothing phases them. They're past it. You know, there's this character in the movie Tombstone, which Carter has not seen. Okay, we all have a movie that everybody's shocked we haven't seen. Which one? What is it for you? Which one? Which big movie have you not seen? I well, I don't know. I see a lot of them. Haven't you like not seen one of the Godfathers or something? I've seen all the Godfathers. Oh yeah, that's me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but Tombstone is one of those. Look, it's rated R. Watch it with a grain of salt, and just know that. I mean. It's, and it's a Hollywoodified uh, version of the Old West with, um, you know, these in incredible characters. But anyway, there's this dude in the movie. He is, he has knowledge of the Bible. Oh, he does. But he does not even blink an eye when a priest is taken out by a gun uh, just next to In fact, he has no problem just blowing him away. Mm -hmm. And the other guy who's with him, who's also a villainous character, is like, oh. <gasps> kind of taken aback. Maybe not because he has like a, a heart for the church at all, but just because of maybe a superstition or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there is this, he doesn't even bat an eye taking out a man of God. And it's because there is, there's this, his soul is so far gone. And I think only God can, can determine whether that's the case or not. But we do that to ourselves. The further entrenched in sin we become. Now, I've, I've heard the song. There's even a song that is played on Christian radio, Never Too Far Gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think as long as you hear those words and your heart, your your conscience is pricked by them and you go, so it's it's not too late for me. No, if you're having those thoughts or even if you're having the thoughts of it's too late for me. Do you hear the difference mm -hmm, in the sensitivity mm -hmm. to that? Know that it is never too far gone because you're in a place of like you you're remorseful. But if there is no remorse, there's no going back. The, the huge difference, you know, the, the we talk about the unforgivable, unforgivable sin and, you know, people say not, not accepting Jesus, not accepting the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit. And perhaps it's actually tied in with it. This is me talking uh, pride would mm -hmm. would potentially be part of the unforgivable sin because you're just saying I know best. Hmm. I know best. I'm not going to, you know, uh, humble myself to to do that. I'm I either I got it or I really what it comes down to. I know it. I know what you're saying. And I don't care. I choose this other way. You ever viciously spoken to somebody and the words just come out like venom and you immediately knew that you were in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, OK, so imagine that moment, but not having those feelings. Mm hmm. So mm -hmm. Pharaoh's heart continued to harden because he kept stubbornly saying no to Moses's request of letting my people go. Every We're talking the worst plagues that have ever rained down on this planet right there. And you read about them and think about them, like look them up in medical journals, boils and say, OK, yeah, I'm going to totally not even think about 
making a change of heart. You know, <laughs> just, yeah. Just take one of the plagues. There were ten plagues. Okay, so the latter half of those plagues, it does say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it's interesting because um, I, I think it's around the seventh plague that you actually see the difference in the grammar so that you can point up and it's no longer ambiguous. The first five might feel a little ambiguous as to whether or not God is doing the hardening or Pharaoh is doing the hardening. But after you read through the seventh plague and you've translated it, Apparently, it points to a grammar position that is, um, what do you call it, incontrovertible. You can't go back on it. It's okay. this This clearly was Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then in the last five, God allowed evil to swallow up evil. Hmm. He allowed it to happen. And his response to his his uh, the cries of the Israelites and losing their firstborn was allowing the firstborn as the, the tenth and final plague of every Egyptian household to be taken. And that was very hard for me when I read that. I just, oh my gosh, as a child and even as a, a young adult, even, you know, a few years back and going, okay, Lord, there must be more to this. I, I And in those circumstances, when you read through scripture and it does seem like this doesn't feel like who I know you to be, I would trust some of that. I would trust some of that. Like, I, I don't understand Trust that that doesn't exactly feel the way you think it should, because there are aspects to our faith that, I mean, when you look at ancient um, texts, like they discovered priestly uh, things within like ancient Canaan that told them how um, how the priests in their temples for their multiple gods that that should look. And then you look at it in contrast to what the Hebrews were given in terms of the law. Later with Moses at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments are given. And and even later, several times, Moses approaches God and gets more regulation because he needs it. Mm -hmm. Um, When you discover that throughout not just Exodus, but Leviticus and Deuteronomy and just trying to map out the best plan for God's people— it is so much more just and merciful than any of the other things that we read about other civilizations. Like slaves didn't have a chance in other civilizations. Slavery after seven years was up. This was not meant to be a thing within the Hebrew people. You were to free those people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless they wanted to remain slaves. You know, it, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating. There are different uh, uh, decrees, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. With you know what, when we think of slavery, it horrendous and awful. Mm-hmm. What was this in the Old Testament that God seemed to maybe even some would say be okay with or at least allow? And there are certainly many things like if a, a, a slave from a foreign land uh, came, you know, in, in exile, yeah. uh, or came came running really, and and they had escaped. Um, it was most everywhere you had to return that slave to their owner. And in it with God's people, with Israel, is no, no, you you keep them. And if they're if they're running for a good reason because they're being mistreated, no, you keep them and you provide a place for them. Yeah, yeah, to to treat foreigners. Remember, you were a foreigner mm. in a, a foreign land of Egypt. Remember what it was like to be a slave, to treat them well. Um, you look at slavery, some of the passages you read about women and you're like, oh, we're reading from a Western civilization, from a culture that is, I mean, it's 2021. And we're reading from the stance of uh, of a person that hopefully is observing equal opportunity. 
Um, I pray that that's happening for you in your in your personal situation right now at work and such. But um, you know, you look at that and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, this is this is horrible. This is sexist. Even this feels awful." And well, read the subtext. It is to take care of women, because in in cultures former and even you'll find that they. They backslid on a lot of these laws. They did not do well right. by the law. Um, they want it. God is all about loving people, period. And so he was working with what he had. He said, you have grown up in this culture, in this civilization. This is the way people are. And I am going to show you a reformed way to live. And I'm going to set you apart. And I'm going to show you how to be set apart. I mean, there's this one example that was given on this website I was sharing with you earlier about a a <laughs> do not boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. And to this day, it's not kosher for you to eat a cheeseburger. Mixing the dairy, mixing the 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 meat, you don't mix mix what is uh, there is life in the milk. You know, it's symbolic of life with death, and. Interestingly enough, like you hop on over to the other temple where the other gods are worshipped and one of them actually reports do boil the baby goat in its mother's milk. I think I thought that was fascinating. It's like the, these are ways for us to. Yes, there are moral laws that we still up, uh, uphold today mm-hmm. that totally make sense. And then there are some where it's like uh, do not wear two different types of fabric in your clothing. And you're thinking, well, wait, what? And it can cause confusion. Um, but it's important for you to remember this was a different time, a different culture. Does that mean that it still doesn't stand the test of time? There are certain laws that absolutely do. But they, I mean, if you kept all 613 of the laws that were presented, you find very quickly it's it's completely impossible. It completely. Yeah. So the fulfilling of of that law is what Jesus said he came to do. And he hung them up on the two that we know and love so much, which is to love God and love people. We can we can observe being a good follower of God, of my father and your father, when you love him before everybody else and you love others, you know, as yourself. And I, I think that's where we need to. I. Uh, it's been recommended that we almost read it as a narrative as opposed to reading it. This is exactly what I have to do for my life. If that was the case, then um, there's a lot of things that we would have to take off the table. We would be, you know, draining blood out of our animals mm. before we're eating them at dinner. I mean, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So um, I, I I think he was he was showing them this is a big step in a good direction. And if any other civilization around were asked to sit down and listen to what the Israelites were being asked to do, I mean, they were very willing to accept the terms. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The other nations would be like, dude, your God is really awesome. He's really merciful. Yeah. He's really great. Well, and it's, it's fascinating with it because those do those old Testament laws get so complicated and, uh, you know, us reading them and a lot of what uh, I think it's just such a dichotomy of Jesus came to fulfill it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, some of the um, the like, especially the ceremonial stuff and the times that you know the, the you can't eat shellfish and things like that. Yeah, um, that is is broken. We we have you know scriptures in the New Testament that you know Peter has that dream that vision and it, there's a big sheet. And there's all the animals that are fine to eat now and. And so <clears throat> Jesus, though, we, we get a lot of talk these days about, yeah, I'm, f- I'm for Jesus. I'm about Jesus, but I don't, I'm not really into the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. You know, or I, you know, I, I, I believe that Jesus would do this or Jesus would do that, but he's not going to be mean like the Bible or like the Old Testament. Like Jesus, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. Like he is everything that is in the Bible uh, that is from God. Of course, we have, you know, in, in like Judges we were talking about last week or the week before, sure, there's sure. The, people's mistakes that happen to be in the Bible. Uh, but everything that is from God in the Bible and from God, Jesus is for. Oh, yeah. And there are so many accounts of we hear from the prophets. These are men that God appointed to to be his his megaphone, if you will. And I think we really need to remind ourselves of that. It doesn't mean that they did not convey what we, what we call the infallible word of God. Absolutely. They, yes, they they said this is what God is telling. This is this is accurate for our lives. But sometimes without conferring with them and making sure, hey, are we doing exactly what you want us to do? They would, hey, this is what God wants us to do without making sure and going back and saying, hey, listen, we talked about this before. I mean, just think about this. I mean, you read through some of the encounters of Moses in the wilderness. There's a lot of stuff that goes down. These are not, let's just say they're not super positive people all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, they're not. They're grumbling a lot. Yeah. And that honestly is a great picture of a lot of us every day being reminded. And again, if it wasn't for Jesus— fulfilling what we needed in order for that um, reconnection between heaven and earth to be established, reestablished that was lost at Eden, um, we'd be in trouble. So I, I'm i not pointing the finger at them because I know I am very guilty of the grumbling and complaining that happened in that wilderness for 40 years. And uh, the plagues, taking people out, um, some got bit by snakes. I was just So there was a lot of death around them. And all of a sudden you run into a chapter about how to take care of dead bodies. It's like, well, was that circumstantial? Were those laws established before all the dead bodies happened? But it's like, why am I reading? If you just like pop open the Bible one day, sometimes we do that's like, oh, what, what shall I read today? And mm-hmm. Let me just, whoop, circumstances should get me in Leviticus. And you're reading through some of the stuff. You're like, why are there so many laws yeah. about this? Yeah. Pretty much, I think the way that the... Uh, the Torah is laid out. Um, Pentateuch, I believe, it's the, is that the first five books of the Penta meaning five? Anyway. Yeah, that sounds right. The way that it's laid out, the books that Moses wrote, <laughs> it sure seems like he had to keep going back to God saying, look, what do I do about this? And doesn't that just sound normal? You get a job with your boss and you get the initial rule book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you got, can I get some clarification? Right. So there were other things that the that Moses would bring to God. And I love the ongoing relationship of that. And I feel like sometimes, uh, even when you get further into the prophets, uh, further down the road in the Old Testament, there were rules and regulations that were carried out because of what was read in the law. But there was no conferring with God to make sure, hey, are we still good with this or have regulations changed at all in regards to that? You know? Yeah. Um, Ezra did this amazing thing in bringing the law before the people and reading it and saying, we need to get back to God. We need to get back to the basics. And people are like, yeah, we do. We do. Oh, it says here that you need to divorce all of your wives and send them and your children away because you've intermarried. Mm-hmm. But he didn't confer with God before just do it. He did what he thought was best. And I, it's, it's really interesting. Lord, I read something in your scripture, even the New Testament, 
would you help me understand? Would you breathe your life into this through your spirit so that I understand what's going on here? Because, yeah, like we read with Pharaoh, there might be a translation situation there or just any number of things. Maybe it could be a wise thing that you you feel that you should do, but maybe the timing is off. So always going to God in prayer. That That's huge. Do the relationship thing like Moses did, I guess yeah. is the point. Yeah. No, that's that's very good. That's very good. And and reading the Bible and trying to understand it and uh, and knowing that yeah, a lot of it, so much of it is just is surface level. What does it say? That's what it means. Uh, but certainly there are times, you know, if you talk about the Bible being literal or whatever, mm-hmm. there is certainly allegory elements. I think there's there's some people that would say, oh, the Bi- the whole Bible is an allegory. It's a it's a metaphor. It's a, no, 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 no. You can't just say that. But but when what is it that I've heard uh, that David says? My my um, he's so sad and he says my bed is uh, swimming with tears. Mm-hmm. OK, he's he, there's not a puddle that his bed's floating on because right. he cried that much. You know, so right. there's certainly <laughs> you just just read between the lines at that point. Some of it's poetry. Absolutely. Some of it is poetry. Absolutely. The but first uh, poem, I believe, is in Genesis. Yeah, uh, I think within the first or second, third chapter, somewhere in there. Yeah. And I never noticed that before. Somebody else who studied. The scriptures, it's just like, hey, by the way, the first poem, and if you read it in the actual, you know, this translation, when it was originally written in, then it would have rhymed. And you're like, oh, oh I didn't know that. Wow. Hey, you learned something new. Yeah. So as the Bible Bible can can be complicated, certainly we we try to break it down in somewhat of a simple fashion uh, on, on this program. Um, but also don't forget about the simplicity and as we've discussed the Old Testament laws, this is perfect for what I just read through. If you want to go through what it just means to be a Christian, because especially, you know, Rochelle and I live in the Bible Belt and, and everybody's a Christian, right? Not not quite, not literally, certainly. And then, Well, and then, I haven't been to church in five yeah, years, but I'm a Christian. And, and there's that, you know. But and then, that's, I, look, I know I'm not making fun of that person either. I'm just, you know, that's, yeah. Well, the person that concerns me more is I'm a Christian because I've gone to church my whole life. That, oh, that's okay. what scares me about mm-hmm. being in, a, in a, a, a very open environment for Christianity is great, but there's the con right there. Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, okay, here's what it means. And it's actually more simple than you're making it. You don't have to go to church every week to be a Christian. Um, be excited for that if you're ever on vacation again. Um, <laughs> this is Galatians 3 that Paul is breaking this down. And Galatians is five chapters it's a really easy read. You want to go through what what does it mean? Because these the uh, Galatian people uh, were kind of putting some extra stuff on it again. We talked about the Old Testament having these whole bunch of laws, and then Jesus fulfilled, and then made it to we can go straight to God, and all the ceremonial laws are gone. I, yeah, I love what Jesus said about it's meant to serve you. Yeah, not for you to serve it. And so here they are now wanting to serve it again, I guess, okay. uh, the Galatian people. And um, and so Paul says this, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. And this is in Galatians 3, and that's at verse 2. Uh, you received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, right? I I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And it goes on to say that in the same way, 
Abraham believed God and God count him, counted him as righteous because of his faith. And that's a dude that lived in the Old Testament, you know? And, and so that's just, there's the simplicity for if you're struggling with, am I still a Christian? Am I an actual Christian? These doubts that we have because we aren't the person that's in every Bible study or we have a habitual sin that will pop up every now and then doesn't mean we should give into that. Mm. It just means that when you struggle with something of not being good enough, good, turn that over to Jesus because that clearly right there, Paul said it, that is what makes you a Christian. Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus fulfilled that Old Testament because he is the Son of God. He lived this perfect life. He died on the cross and he rose again three days later, defeating death. And another thing that I was going through when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, he there's all this, you, you want to talk about trying to interpret the Bible, there's all this this stuff behind it, is that Jesus put took off his outer garment or his, his glory to now become dirtier and dirtier after every foot he washed. None of those people there, none of those disciples there were as dirty as Jesus was by the end of it mm. because he was taking on all of the dirt, all mm. of the filth. And you have, and he's explaining to Peter and Peter says, you know, you don't you dare wash my feet. You're way better than me. And of course, Peter's right. But Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand, but you will. And so you have this element of where Jesus is not only cleansing them, but you you get this sense from that story that he will continually wash your feet mm -hmm. so that when you do mess up, he's going to wash them feet again. And we need to continually, each and every day, each and every week, turn back to him and go, I don't have it figured out. I'm not a perfect Christian. And thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for being my defense attorney, for being my representative and for being so willing to uh, for, uh, I, yeah, I, I guess I would even say forget and forgive because it says God remembers your sin no more. Probably not literal either, uh, but at the same time, he's not going to look at it. He's not going to bring it back up when we say, I'm done with this. I'm turning to you again and again. Do you know why an animal was sacrificed for the sins of the of the person take, take us through that because we we know there has to be justice there has to be a penalty yeah. but i think it's really tough i i wouldn't know exactly how to explain it to somebody I that why it so is easy. it is it blood okay go ahead go ahead okay well is an animal guilty of anything uh i i would say no it's blameless yeah were you guilty of something yes so you can't connect yourself back to god if you are um, you know, continually we see that you, you're not allowed in the presence of God if you haven't gone through certain washing ceremonies and rituals. And that was for the safety of the people because we just people were messed up. Like even when Moses was on the scene, the first thing that God says is take off your shoes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he'd stepped in something before he came into the area where the burning bush was, but you're standing on holy ground. There was this sacred, he wanted to establish this sacred thing. We were no longer allowed in Eden. That was a sacred place. That was a heaven place. What's really cool is that when they decorate the tabernacle and the the temple later, this place where God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dwell among you, I'm gonna live with you. There's all this symbolism in the tabernacle of Eden with nature and things like that. The animal was blameless, and there is life in the blood. And our it was it's kind of like a life for a life sort of thing. And mm. it's like I you even see it portrayed sometimes in film 
where uh, the person would put their sins on the animal, and then the animal was sacrificed. Mm. So it took our blame in order for us to reestablish, if at all possible, any any semblance of a connection we could have to God. And God would take the sacrifice, the offering. He was looking for those people. He wanted relationship with people. He absolutely did. And, you know, the, you look at the story of Cain and Abel. There was certainly a difference between the two sacrifices between the brothers. It looked like in some way, we don't know what happened, but Cain's was not accepting or pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. But Abel's was because it was given with all of his love, all of his heart. The first fruits, take that get money, tithe it to the Lord, do it with a joyful heart. You know, um, God wanted that relationship with people. And so he allowed and, and said, what is blameless, we will sacrifice this because you are not blameless. And so yeah. it will take your sin and that will give you, you know, for a period of time, some time. You know, and then Jesus comes along and says, "Okay, I'm the guy who's got you covered for eternity," and he was the perfect lamb. And that's where that, you know, you maybe have heard that said, and it's like, what does that even mean? Mm. Mm-hmm. He was the firstborn son. You see it in in Jewish culture. It was the firstborn lamb. It was the the male lamb uh, without blemish. You know, that was sacrificed. And yeah, it's it's embarrassing when you think about, oh, I don't want Jesus to wash my feet again with my sin. Mm-hmm. Why does he have to? I mean, that's what mm-hmm. Peter was. What are you doing? This is the most, this is the lowliest job ever. You should not be doing this. Yeah. And we have to let him take our sin. Yeah. I, that's the only option. We're not going to do anything that's good enough. I would tell my, we're not blameless. <laughs> I, no, I would tell my students that, um, you know, especially with, um, uh, battles with uh, lust and, and pornography when you're when you're a, a student leader, high school student leader, uh, that that is a main one that that comes to mind that they're continually struggling with. And I would tell them, you you know, you think about it like if you're a football team, if you're a football player, man, you are you show up, show up to the game, you show up to the stadium, play the game, yeah. and sometimes you're going to lose and sometimes you're going to win. Uh, but continually choose to show up. And, and in my mind, that analogy is continually fight and continually go to God and yeah. let him cleanse you. Yeah. And certainly there are times in anything that you're going to mess up on. Uh, but hopefully as we grow, that's less and less. It's not sitting here going, well, I'll just never beat this, but thanks for God's forgiveness. Um, doop, 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 and going on with our sin. No, no, no. It is truly fighting and getting away from it. But the only way to cleanse it is to let God do that. Well, please don't let shame keep you from doing that. Uh, yeah. Please don't let embarrassment or guilt or whatever that is. Let conviction bring you to the cross because that is the only thing that can save us. The only thing. Um, and we're all, quote, guilty. We yep. all are. Yep. So, And with that... Hope Notes. Yes, it is that time. Thanks to Compassion International, a child sponsorship program, $38 a month. If it's something interesting that, to you that you want to get involved to help change a child's life, like somewhere across the world, you're not only getting them food, but the message of Jesus, mm-hmm. you're helping them with their education. There is so much that goes in with Compassion and International. And they're learning about serving. Yeah, exactly. They're learning about helping others. This little girl, Keisha, she's nine years old. She saw her teacher with compassion being a giving person and serving. She goes home. She only has food 
the bags of food given to her by Compassion, she's like, that's okay. She takes five little handfuls of rice to her community and loves on them that way and serves them. Man, I, you think about the cycle that can start when you are, because you can write letters, certainly, that is a huge aspect to Compassion International. You get to write these kids letters, they'll write you letters back. And when you're encouraging them, when they're, you're, you're supporting them financially, and you think about who is this person, who is this little kid that I've been sponsoring from age five to age 18, or maybe from age 16 to age 18, whenever you're able to get involved and how long you're able to sponsor. But when they grow up, who are they gonna be? Who are the people that they're going to help? And you have such an impact when you're able to sponsor one child or a couple children. A lot of people will do, uh, you know, if you have three kids of your own, perhaps you sponsor uh, three kids that they can each have their own child to sponsor. So it's obviously all up to you. Pray about it. Think about it. But man, it does a lot of good. And Keisha, she's from Indonesia. Is that correct? Indonesia. That's right. And yeah. I, from what I understand, if there is a, a certain country that God's laid on your heart, mm-hmm. you can specifically ask to have a child from that country uh, or you could say whoever needs it the most and let the lord supply hopeondemand.com is where you can find out more about this incredible organization compassion international and with that we bid you adieu unless you are getting ready to binge old episodes and we'll say hello our former selves will say hello in just a minute actually i'm i'm inspired my feet are disgusting i'm gonna go wash go them. wash those please yeah. thank you